Katrina, how do you define a child that's hard to handle? Can you outline some of the behaviors? Why are you looking at me when you say that anyway? <laughs> We're not. Okay. I was just blinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think it usually depends on the parent's definition in my experience. So when I think of hard to handle kids, I think of kids who are extremely defiant, kids who may or may not have temper tantrums when they don't get their way. So kids that have a lot of behavioral outbursts. But I have had some parents who when they describe kids who are hard to handle, they talk about kids who are a lot more emotional. So they mm-hmm. might not be you know, difficult in terms of conduct or behavior, but they're kids that might get very easily triggered over comments, kids who, you know, are extremely quote unquote sensitive. And I've had some parents refer to that as being very difficult to handle. So I would just say that it really depends on the parent's definition, but a child who is presenting with behaviors or traits that parents find really difficult to navigate and manage. Again, why are you guys staring at me when you say that? (laughs) Now, obviously you said it's about the parent's threshold perhaps, right? But, you know, and we do know that it's normal for kids to sort of sulk through tantrums mm-hmm. being emotional but mm-hmm. when can we define this behavior as sort of crossing the line to being hard to handle so I mean I think the first thing is when it is resistant to any type of intervention consequence anything like that right so um, if a child is presenting with a behavior and the moms and dads have tried to enforce some type of rules and regulations you've tried comforting you've tried all these other things which are in the normal sort of parenting wheelhouse and kids kind of st- keep persisting with those behaviors then I I would say that in that regard, it's something that's probably getting to the point where it's a little bit problematic and hard to handle. And then of course, you know, the, the, the same rules of, of all disorders apply or all behaviors apply when it starts to impact their functioning in multiple areas. So you're seeing a child who's behaving this way, regardless of if it's teachers or parents or strangers or other mm-hmm. authority figures, they're doing this in public as well as in private. So it's starting to cross these boundaries where everyone is seeing the same version of this child. Then I would say that that's probably when it starts to get problematic enough that you should look into it right okay are there like specific root causes or even sort of core areas of sort of bad behavior and what are the factors that sort of contribute to those I find probably the most common is when children aren't yet at the stage where they can communicate very openly so younger children for example not having um, the command of language to be able to express like hey I'm really upset about this oh definitely just scream and yell and stuff like that precisely right Right. and moms and dads will often try to figure out what it is that's causing them to get so upset and probably come up with the wrong conclusion and so parents feel they're very difficult to handle or kids who are inconsolable over things that parents just don't understand so I think that that's usually where I see a lot of these problematic behaviors come up when kids don't when moms and dads and kids are not speaking the same language right Right. and I don't just mean like you know that type of language but more just comprehension right Mm -hmm. and I think also the other the other pocket of it is when you have kids who don't respond to any type of intervention or rules and things like that so you have kids who are pretty defiant regardless of what consequences you put their way regardless of what rules regardless of who it is that's implementing them I see a lot of that kind of happening and I think that probably of the two I would see the former in again younger children and the latter in in more teenagers and kind of older children when parents come to me and talk about problematic behavior right now I've seen this happen myself where changing just a diet actually radically changes behavior so does sort of biology in terms of you know diet or or hunger or tiredness or even 
sort of learning difficulties come into play when you're looking at kids who are hard to handle? 100%, right? I mean, to what extent that diet actually affects it, I think is still very much highly debated because I've met families who swear by, you know, gluten-free, ketogenic, you know, sugar-free, you know, no processed food kind of diets. Mm -hmm. And to be completely honest, if it's healthy for your kid, go for it. You know, like I'm I'm not against anything because I mean, I'm not advocating for parents to feed their kids lots of carbonated drinks and sugar either, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that making that change, if it's healthy for your child, then you're seeing positive behavior change, then have at it, right? But I think it's also, you know, like you said, there are certain conditions or certain disorders where kids are more prone to acting up. So for example, kids who have ADHD or kids who have, uh, who are on the autism spectrum, kids with learning difficulties will find it really difficult to express themselves and, and to have people understand how difficult things are for them. So you might see this behavior come up more and more. Ultimately, it's very much just that when kids are struggling and they feel like the people around them don't understand or empathize or can help them. And that's when these behaviors tend to tend to come up. So, and then again, going back to the theory of not being able to express themselves, every child who's cranky, every child who's hungry, every child who has an emotion, but doesn't have the vocabulary or the capacity to articulate that emotion will likely use behavior and crying as a way of expressing that. Right. I've heard also in some cases, allergies can cause, you know, behavior to radically change in kids. Is that actually true? Not that I've seen, but if I had to kind of hypothesize, I'm assuming like any form of discomfort, right? So, I mean, I'm thinking about, for example, I used to, I mean, I I do research with kids who have asthma, right? Because that's kind of the condition that's got a lot of connection to mental health currently that's being looked into. And so, I mean, a lot of these kids' parents will complain, will have behavioral issues. And I think that just comes from that general sense of discomfort, feeling like you have to, feeling out of breath and feeling like, you know, you can't run and play games with your friends without kind of, you know, needing an inhaler or things like that. And I think with allergies, it's much the same, right? So if kids are having symptoms, the byproduct of their allergies or feeling like they're missing out on life because they can't do this and they can't do that, or they have to take a bucket load of medication. I think that discomfort is enough to, to kind of cause them to get to get upset. But I, to my knowledge, don't really know of any, any research that talks about the connection between behavior and allergies. Yeah. I don't know how to put this nicely. So I'll just ask whether or not there are cases where children are hard to handle because it's in their nature versus nurture or any other causative factions? I always think that, you know, when it comes to nature versus nurture, especially in mental health, I mean, absolutely, there are certain situations where something is genetically passed down, certain, like I said, predisposed conditions that make kids' behavior more kind of pre-programmed. But what I do find most of the time is that nurture has a huge part to play. And so if a child was prone to having these behavioral outbursts or being very difficult, and there hasn't been any successful intervention behaviorally or from the nurture perspective not to say that parents don't intervene or that I'm blaming parents in any way but just that whether those approaches were effective for this particular child and if we see the cases where they aren't then the behavior is enabled right and so one example that I see very very often especially with Asian parents is Asian parents seem to assume that corporal punishment is the ultimate punishment (laughs) and so parents think that the minute that I threaten corporal punishment or actually act on it that the kids should fall in line because that is like the worst possible thing that can happen but that need not be the case for certain children who don't Mm -hmm. really respond to that and all that you've done is communicated to these kids that when I'm unhappy I can use physical force and 
And so mm. these kids will then in turn use physicality as a way to express mm. their unhappiness later on. So I see that backfiring in a lot of cases. Mm. So I think that that's kind of where I go or, or what I say when the approaches are not effective, not because you haven't done anything or because you've done the wrong thing necessarily, but that for this particular child, what you're trying to do isn't something that resonates with them. And so that behavior becomes enabled. So while I think there is a there is a nature element in it in some cases, especially with underlying behavioral or conduct disorders, mm-hmm. nurture, I think, has a huge part to play in allowing those conditions to continue or those behaviors to continue. Okay, we're talking about that, you know, parents getting it wrong, <laughs> not because it's wrong, but not the right thing for the, that particular thing. If parents don't nip it in the bud and correct this early on, how is this going to go on to affect them once they're young adults? Because it's something that, you know, they are going to take on board and say like, oh, this is okay, right? And I say it time and time again that, you know, as parents, your relationship with your child is the first relationship that they are going to have on this earth. And your relationship with them also sets the tone or sets the template for what other relationships are going to be like with authority figures, with employers, with relationship partners mm-hmm. or romantic partners, friendships. And so I think that if this isn't something that's corrected and they've been allowed to believe Again, whether or not it's true is irrelevant, but they've been allowed to believe that this behavior is acceptable or this behavior is is okay. They will continue to replicate that in other areas of, of their life, right? So you will see kids in as young adults not functioning very well at university because they have mm. to do something they don't want to do or not functioning very well in their job because bosses expect certain things and they don't like being given expectations or, or rules. I've seen kids grow up into young adults who can't function in romantic relationships because they feel that it's their way or the highway. They don't get their way right. right. And they don't understand how, you know, their partner doesn't understand that, you know. So I think that it's something that has the potential to really snowball into something significant and it all kind of starts with kind of what you get at at the parenting level. Gosh, that's even more pressure on parents who are already (laughs) exasperated with having to or not be able to deal or handle these, you know, kids with these behavioral issues. But what are some of the best strategies parents can use to handle difficult children or behavior? I tell parents it's like a math equation, right? Every time you solve a math equation, you need to first understand what the equation is trying to ask of you and what the equation is trying to tell you. Mm. So I say, do not apply a one size fits all approach. Do not necessarily adopt whatever you were used or what was used on you as a child by your parents. If you hit a wall, if you hit a wall when it comes to your children, then spend some time actually listening to what is what is happening right i mean i'm not saying that you're 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 allowing things to happen but i say take a few days take a few weeks to sit down and actually listen to what is happening and observe what is happening to try to see whether you're missing something and understand what it is that your child is upset about what is it that they're trying to communicate what do they expect what is their grievance understand the math question and then once you've understood it Try to see whether you can come up with a solution that's actually helpful for you and for your child. Come up with suggestions. So when your child is acting up, you know, don't be afraid to kind of point out what you see and say like, look, I can tell that you're really unhappy about this, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know, do you know why? Or what can I do to make you feel less upset, right? Don't feel afraid to ask those questions. I mean, don't, I think, I think parents have, a few parents have said to me that they're afraid that doing that would kind of make their kids think that they don't know what they're doing, right? Right. 
Um, yeah. But the reality is you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and, okay. and I think it's important to be able to show your kids that you are committed to finding a solution, that you are open to their input because you're teaching them that those are things that they need to adopt and problem solving later on in life. And so, yeah. So by you as a parent kind of going, look, what can I do to help you? Yes, it shows that you don't know what to do, but that's actually helping the kids figure out what they actually need as well in that time. Okay, that's that's pretty genius, actually. Precisely. Um, I have to say, uh, being on the end of the stick uh, myself on occasion, um, it is hard to sort of handle in the moments where the kid is screaming, I hate you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment. I mean, should parents just kind of give a pause and a beat in those instances then when, you know, communication is a bit more difficult? When I think that you can't get very far because either your child is too emotional or maybe even you are too emotional, like you're very heightened in that moment. Mm-hmm. Take, a, take a beat, like you said, right? So make sure to just say that, look, you're super upset. I can see that, right? And, you know, I'm probably not going to be very helpful right now because I'm upset. So let's take a minute and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it in a little while, right? So I think that that's actually healthier than exploding and trying to get this child to conform to what you want. Yeah, and then saying potentially the wrong thing, right? Which I think is really damaging, which I try really hard to talk to parents about is that, you know, I understand that, you know, when a lot of things can be said in anger, Mm -hmm. but when you don't make an effort to, but, but kids remember that right so that all the things you say even though you don't mean it your kids are going to remember it and especially if you don't believe in going back and apologizing for the things that you say or rectifying it then those are things that your kid is going to hold on to and I don't believe that kids should just let things go because you were angry right because you're why don't they get the same pass right, right. why must yes. they let go but you won't let go right mm-hmm. so you know so I think that it's it's healthier to, to take a step and to, to say like, you know, acknowledge that they're upset and you see that and you're upset and that you do not want to upset them further and you do not want to say things that you're both going to regret and that you want to come up with a solution that benefits the both of you. So you're going to take a minute and you'll come back and reconvene in 30 minutes or whatever it is and make sure you do that, right? So mm. that way the child doesn't learn that, oh, the next time I want mom or dad to leave me alone and to get my way, I just need to say some hurtful things and then they'll back right. off. So they need to know that this is a pause and that you're going to come back and they are going to have a difficult conversation, but that this is just about the fact you're both running against a wall and it's not working. Actually, this works in all levels of conflict resolution, you know, even for adults, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing I do. I I noticed like the longer I'm in this profession, the thing that I realized the most is that a lot of people just desperately want to have their feelings and thoughts validated. Whether or not you agree is irrelevant, but they want to be, especially in conflict, they want to be able to have their opinion validated and for, to feel heard, right? And I think that you overcome a lot of that struggle by just doing that, by just recognizing that they have these thoughts, these feelings that could obviously conflict with your own, but that you have them and you respect, that they have them and you respect them. And that, in my opinion, does a lot to diffuse the defensiveness, the anger, the ire that they feel yeah. over, right. you know. So yeah, so do that and then come back to it if you can't fix it in that moment. Yeah, I've actually been through one of those therapy sessions where you're supposed to say I understand where you're coming from I understand what you're saying mm-hmm. but let's revisit this when we're both calmer and mm-hmm. stuff like this right yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I want stuff. to talk about it now yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do listen man yeah. okay <laughs> okay so one of the things me as a parent I, I've had to experience and also seen other parents having to experience is the judgment shame or blame from others when you are dealing with a child who is being extraordinarily hard to handle how can parents manage that 
without you know affecting the kids that mm. might be there as well and mm. also their parenting you know this is really difficult because i think this is something that parents need to do a bit more is to just kind of be supportive of each other you know i mean i do see this i do see mm. a lot of parents especially when they have younger kids who are prone to temper tantrums telling me that they always get those judgmental stares in malls and things yep. when mm-hmm. and and it's really embarrassing and i can't you know i can't tell people to just not get embarrassed by stuff like that but you know what i always say to people is that ultimately this is an experience that only you fully understand right it's and and because of that no one else's opinion i mean in, in fact their opinion is not going to make this even less yeah. you know like they're not going to fix Difficult. it yeah exactly. Yeah. so as i would say that you know as much as it's something that's really hurtful and really embarrassing and i wish that society did a better job at supporting parents who are overcoming things like this you got to remember and repeat to yourself that this is an experience that only you understand to its full extent and that you know their judgment their opinions is something that's probably not going to be able to help you know with your current situation so do what's right for you and do what's right for your child and you know kind of try to block it out as much as possible it's hard but really something we need to do one of the things uh, a friend said to me once was to just remember opinions are like noses everyone has one so (laughs) that's just theirs yes Um, yes which has really helped me in a lot of tough spots I mean you know one of the things I've noticed is kind of the awful mistakes we make as parents having to deal with with uh, kids in certain situations right especially when they're being extraordinarily difficult mm. like I remember one time my son was refusing absolutely because he was overtired overstimulated he was having a meltdown he refused to leave and we had to leave where we were going and he was just absolutely refusing to do it and was sitting on the floor and he was getting too big for me to sort of just scoop up but what I ended up doing exasperatedly was just picking him up like he was a toddler to carry him out because I just I couldn't I couldn't think of any other way to deal with this than to mm. get him out of the situation a friend of mine who was there stepped in she's like just leave him with me and our kids you just go off and and mm. I I did I you know I, I went off and ended up sobbing outside in the car park but mm. what are some of the common mistakes us parents make when mm. dealing with children who are being hard to handle I think the main one is thinking that they're doing this intentionally or doing this with malicious Mm. intent I think that fuels the anger on the side of the parents even more because it's like why are you doing this why are you embarrassing me why are you so difficult you know like it's sort of like as if they feel that the child is doing this to intentionally to be just a very difficult person in that moment and a lot of the times that's not the case right a lot Mm. of the times it's because they are like you said overwhelmed overstimulated they are they are out of control themselves and it's not something that they're trying to do intentionally and so I tell parents I think it's important for you to embrace that because that will hopefully reduce the amount of anger that you have towards your child in that moment thinking that they're intentionally trying to be difficult and to hurt you in this way so I think when parents kind of take on that approach and feel like they're doing this for a reason they're doing this because they want to stick it's it not to like me somehow I have a plan master plan to discredit you <laughs> yes. although it yes. feels like that it does yes. feel like that you know I'm sure it absolutely mm. does and so that's the thing like you know I think just kind of taking a few breaths and remembering that look my child is out of control because things feel out of control for mm-hmm. them as well mm-hmm. so that will hopefully put you into constructive mode rather than you know hating on your child mode which I think is, is something that naturally happens in that sense so yeah mm-hmm. so I think that that is a mistake that can sometimes happen I'm not a fan of kind of meeting them at the same level of anger so if your child is screaming screaming back for example or hitting your child to get them to behave those things I'm not a big fan of because remember your 
child is trying to also assess your response in that moment. And if you're mm-hmm. going to be hitting and screaming, they're going to think that, again, that's acceptable or, or, or that that is the, the natural response to things. So I would say that those are probably the two big ones that I can pick up that I think you could do wrong. But in other cases, you know, I always tell parents that if it is behavior, right? So not due to an underlying disorder or other things like that. If it is behavior, we want to do our absolute best to try to do the opposite of what they're asking. So if they're throwing a tantrum or being difficult in a toy store because they want something and you don't want to get them for get it for them, then it's important to remove them from the store because we want them to learn that that behavior has the opposite effect to what they're after. So if you, the, my, 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 the, the story that I say over and over, because it always reminds me of it is like, you know, I had a client who was always being difficult during homework time. And so every single night that when the kids would meet at the dining table, this would happen. And mom and dad's response to that was to give him time out. And so he would have to go to his room and reflect on his behavior. But by timing out, he was being given exactly rewarded. what he asked for. Right. Yeah, rewarded. So I always say, just try to be extremely mindful over what your child is trying to communicate. That's why I said sometimes taking time to listen and observe is really powerful because you can figure out what the equation is mm-hmm. and making sure you do the opposite. So temper tantrum in a toy store, you leave the toy store, right? right. Temper tantrum because you want to avoid, you, they can have a break, but inevitably they come back to it. Right. Okay. So that was the, the, the missing piece of the puzzle was after the timeout, there wasn't coming back to homework, was it? No, no. Uh, okay. It was like, you can get to it tomorrow kind of thing. Okay. I tried the either or, which works quite well for me nowadays that the mm. little one is not so little anymore. You know, you either do the washing up or you do the vacuuming, which is it. So there's yep. a choice implied, but you know, yep. either or. Um, no, that's really good. Yeah. Now, there is research that shows that psychopathic behavior can be flagged in younger children and mm-hmm. certain traits like a lack of empathy or extreme mm-hmm. temper tantrums can be early warning signs. Mm-hmm. Could you just explain a little bit about the link between these traits and, and when should a parent be worried? So it is true. A lot of more severe, like you said, psychopathic conditions. So for example, antisocial personality disorder, things like that do start to present themselves at a, at a young age. You can't formally diagnose a child with antisocial personality disorder. You can only do so after I think it was 18 or 21. I can't quite remember. But there are traits and for example, conditions like conduct disorder are often considered a precursor to, to antisocial personality. So yes, there are certain things that might hint at it and exactly like what you said right a lack of empathy and almost kind of any type of behavior that tends to violate upon the rights of others so things like lying and stealing hurting other people hurting animals also so things like you know Mm. birds like smaller animals right birds or cats and rabbits and things like that and so if you're starting to see things like that then definitely it's an indication but you know going back to the empathy thing kids are naturally born without empathy it's not something that it's something that comes with age so if you have a child who is aged like say three or four and thinks that the world revolves around them and isn't really capable of understanding, you know, other people's feelings. Don't be alarmed immediately. It is a developmental thing where they lack that empathy. But if you do feel that they, not so much that they're not capable of it, they are, they just feel like it's irrelevant, right? So for example, they know something is going to hurt someone else, but then they feel that, I well, I wanted it, right? That's probably a bit more concerning. So if they're not able to altogether, and once they realize it, they're like, oh, you know, you can see the light bulb go off, then Mm -hmm. that's more typical. But if you have a child who has learned that skill and has understood pain in other people but feel like I don't care that is the bit that's really worrying conduct disorder can appear in I mean my youngest conduct client was probably about six years old so it can start pretty young so these are not things that are reserved for teen behavior for example but you know but that being said conduct disorder is extremely rare I've only had five clients with it in the nine ten years I've been working so it's really rare but yeah but definitely something that can happen in, in early childhood so when you're seeing these types of traits in kids when it involves 
involves yeah violating the rights of other people or other things that's usually a red flag so i guess what's the most important thing the parents of difficult children should do or bear in mind that they were difficult people as well <laughs> <laughs> i know i was right, i know yeah. i was yeah. i just wonder whether it's hereditary if i was a difficult <laughs> child maybe my child is going to be difficult as well right now i don't know you see the way that i look at that is that if you were a difficult child you're a lot more tolerant to difficult behavior oh right okay Oh really? And so, yeah, <laughs> because so it's sure like about that. <laughs> because you're kind of going like, well, I was like that, you right. know, like that that statement it's comes payback. out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I keep saying. It's karma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's because you were probably if you feel that you were a difficult child and you have a difficult child, you'd probably be more not to say tolerant in the sense where you let them get away with it, but that thought that like, oh, I was like this comes mm-hmm. up. Right, right, right. As compared to someone who goes like what is going on, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of part of it. But I, I think the thing that I want parents to understand is that, again, a lot of the time, these are things that they don't mean to do. They're not things that they're trying to do because they're difficult and they enjoy embarrassing you necessarily. There's usually a bigger reason at play that they cannot comprehend or express or articulate given how old they are or given their where they are in that moment. So to remember that, again, they're not doing this to be difficult and that how you respond to this is something that going to set the tone for how they respond to similar situations in the future so try to focus on how you feel as well so how if you're feeling you know oversensitive if you're feeling really really upset then it's probably best to take us to take a step back and to deal with it so that your child is getting the right response in that moment and yeah and try not to kind of match them with that anger because that's just going to make it worse 